I guess I'll get to that in a minute. But right now, I need to greet all of our guests, visitors. I know the congregation will join me in that we're able to greet all of our snowbirds with 80-some degree temperatures. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. God is so good. I want to thank everybody that came out to the prayer walk yesterday. More than anything, I want to thank Brother Richard's leadership, his burden, his passion. Yesterday is a demonstration of what leadership will do. Amen. Brother Khan is in a pretty bad shape in the hospital. I'm not going to go into all the details. They're refraining from surgery for the meantime. Uh, we want to pray for him. And we're going to do this before I have the ushers come because I want us to pray specifically and solely for Brother Khan. Brother Khan has been uh, under a tremendous amount of pressure dealing with the county, the contractors, the building and everything. It's been a virtual nightmare for him. And uh, it's taken a toll on his body. He's not alone. We're going to, not just in the next few minutes, but... Uh, for the days to come, begin to hold him up in prayer. And uh, Sister Khan, I'm sure, is uh, fretting. And Sister Leslie and Stephanie. Richard's a man. He's got this under control. But he's concerned. He's concerned. We just show it differently. So our prayers extend not only to Brother Khan, and not only to the family, but to every doctor that walks in his room that the Holy Ghost will anoint him, every nurse, everywhere he goes, the angels will follow him to protect him. Let's lift our voices right now. Jesus, we extend our faith beyond this building into the very court of God that you will spread forth your might and your power you will prevail in Brother Khan's mind and his body. That healing will flow out of this congregation. It will flow out of your body. It's praying right now into him to heal him and bring him through this. Anoint every doctor, anoint every nurse, anoint every technician, anoint the people that walk in his room to sweep the floor. Let there be an anointing that will surround him that will be upon Sister Khan, Sister Leslie, Sister Stephanie, on our brother Richard, in Jesus' name, and we will see what God can do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you to the worship team. They're just a little handicapped, but you never know it. They did an outstanding job in leading us to the court of God. Ushers, would you please come? We're going to pray something different for the offering. Uh, 
going to ask the Lord to accept what we're given. Not just assume that God's hard up and he, He's going to accept any old thing we give Him. Pray God accepts our offering, our tithe, with the spirit in which we give it. God can multiply it, magnify it, he can do anything He wants to with it, but first He's got to accept it. Let's pray right now. Jesus, we come with a humble heart. We thank you for the blessing you've placed upon us so that we are able to give. We cheerfully, willfully, gladly support our church with tithe and offering, and we pray you will bless what we give today in the name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. God bless you. Let's give. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. March 12th, start uh, collecting. Clean out your storage units. Empty out your garage. Clean out your car. <laughs> you know, I believe in miracles, but we have one of these twice a year, and to me, everyone is a miracle that so much stuff shows up out of y'all houses. It amazes me. You can come here uh, Friday evening to sit up and it doesn't look like much. And by the time you show up on Saturday morning, it just comes out of the woodwork. All the money goes to support Tupelo Children's Mansion. Uh, so I know you want to be a part of it. Psalm 68, 1 through 8. Psalms chapter 68. Sister Carolyn was so kind to bring me a lunch. She always teases me. Says so she needs to bring a lunch so she can make it through the message. I told her this morning you should have brought a pillow. Because <laughs> you're going to need to take a nap. 
sleeping bag, a tent, a backpack. God help us is right. Because if he don't, nobody else can. Psalm 68. <clears throat> let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Everybody say amen. amen. Let them also that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad, let them rejoice before God, yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. You all ought to be like the children as they're walking through the gates of Disney World. You ought to be leaping for joy, jumping up and down. Let them exceedingly rejoice. I got a funny feeling when you cross that threshold and enter into heaven, you're not going to go, oh, hi, Lord, how you doing? You say, well, we're not there yet. No, but we sit in heavenly places. That's just practice for when we get there. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Yah. And rejoice before him. That's where we get the word hallelujah. Hallel is praise. Yah is Jehovah. Hallelujah. As a father or a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families and bringeth out those which are bound with chains. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. O God, when thou wentest forth before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness, Selah, the earth shook, the heavens also dropped at the presence of God, even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. All of these things merged together to form what we're going to endeavor to speak to you about today. But verse 6 says, He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. He bringeth out those that are bound with chains. And so, with God's help, we're going to preach today about breaking the chains that bind us to the ordinary. Shake somebody's hand. We're way past COVID. Come on, shake somebody's hand. There are going to be some chains that are going to break today. I have it on good authority that there are going to be some chains that are going to break in this place today. But I am not naive. And God has already warned me and prepared me that this message would be met with substantial human resistance. I met spiritual resistance early this morning. I couldn't put two thoughts together. I couldn't get three words out of my mouth. The devil does not want this message to be preached. But that's the reason why 
we are going to preach about chains that bind us to the ordinary. Why would there be such resistance to something that would lead us out of the ordinary into the extraordinary? Because there are too many of us that are happy with the ordinary. They are content with an ordinary spiritual existence. Why is that, you say? Well, there are many reasons, such as the mundane does not challenge us. The routine is easy to follow. The commonplace is acceptable. The familiar has become our habit. Ceremony lacks conviction, and the ordinary doesn't cost us anything. Nevertheless, I believe that some of you have come to the house of God today. I say that with respect. Some of you have come to the house of God today with an intense desire to experience something that is beyond the ordinary. Now I've got to, I've got to, I've got to caveat this because what is ordinary in a oneness Pentecostal apostolic church would blow a Baptist church out of the water. What we consider ordinary, if that happened in an Episcopal church, they would think Jesus had come. So I choose to preach to whoever you may be who long for and who are ready for the extraordinary and to break every chain that is binding you to the ordinary. Before we begin, I would like to point out that there is a powerful, it's been mentioned this morning, thank you for the lock for laying a perfect foundation for this message. There is a powerful spiritual dynamic that's created and cultivated in corporate prayer, in corporate praise, and in corporate worship. Some of you I never see in corporate prayer. You do not know what you are missing out on. Because there's some things you will never get in your personal secret prayer closet that God wants to perform in you and reveal to you in a corporate atmosphere where God's people are merging their faith and their hearts together in seeking the face of God. We're all given the choice. <clears throat> I have another message about that. We'll have to hold that for another time. We're all given the choice whether we're going to spectate or we're going to participate. I want you, though, to be warned because spectating will not produce the same power. It will not produce the same reaction from God. It will not produce the same reaction from the Spirit of God that is in you than participation does. Spectating will not cause the same spiritual reaction in you that participating will. You think, well, if I felt what they felt, I might participate. The reason that they're feeling what they're feeling is because they're not spectating. So I don't know any other way to say this, but I'll just say it. Some of us, frankly, has just come for the show. 
However, something happens when Holy Ghost-filled people gather in one place. It doesn't have to be inside. It can be outside. But when they gather in one place with one purpose in mind, and then they begin to lift up their hearts and their voices to God in prayer and in praise. The same formula was demonstrated years ago in the Old Testament uh, through the Israelite men of war who fought courageously and valiantly on the battlefield. Uh, it even became a promise to them, and it was a promise uh, not only uh, that would come to pass, that would be fulfilled, but it was meant to calm the hearts of those warriors, of those soldiers, as they were preparing for battle. And you could hear the battle cry on the other side of the field, and, 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 and it's like a wave of fear would just sweep through the army, and that's the one thing you didn't want. You wanted courage and faith. And so this was given as a promise to encourage every warrior just before he went into battle. It's written that, that one could put a thousand to flight. So this soldier standing there, uh, and the promise is from God, you are able, no matter what you think, no matter how weak you are, no matter how unskilled you are, because you're one of my children, you are able to put a thousand to flight. But if you will agree with the soldier next to you, the two of you together will be able to put 10,000 to flight. See, that's the formula of corporate praise. And the formula of corporate worship, if we're two or three will agree touching anything, it multiplies the power exponentially. If you will stop being a spectator and become a participator, your anointing will come back. So the psalmist striving with the same things we strive with, Today, in Psalms 34 and 3, said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Don't let me do this by myself. Don't let me sing all by myself. Don't let me shout all by myself. If you will join with me, something's going to happen. Magnify the Lord with me and let us, let us, let all of us exalt his name together. Psalms 122 and 1. We could go down a long list, believe me. I was glad when they said unto me, let us, let us go into the house of the Lord. Praise God. So when we get together here in a few minutes, there are going to be some chains that are going to break. And you hear me now, I'm not going to loose you for about 15 minutes on a Sunday afternoon at an altar service. You're going to be loose when you get up Monday morning. You're going to be loose all day Monday. You're going to be loose Tuesday morning when you get up. I'm talking about a supernatural intervention where God is going to break some things in our lives. Woo! Man, do I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. The faith of God had been stifled virtually for years by their intrinsic love for Baal worship and all of the 
wickedness that surrounded Baal worship. Their faith had been stifled by the wicked exampleship of King Ahab and his idolatrous wife Jezebel. Elijah the prophet was on the front line in this war. He was battling not for his soul but for every soul in Israel. He was battling for the very soul of the nation. And even though he was highly anointed by God, Elijah still suffered uh, from physical, emotional, and spiritual fatigue. Don't you let the devil lie to you when you get tired and weary in a battle or situation. Amen. Because everybody gets tired. Everybody gets weary. Everybody experiences emotional trauma. We're in a critical situation. But Elijah got tired of it. Elijah got tired of playing hide and seek with Ahab. And so he called for a showdown with the prophets of Baal. In other words, what Elijah did, he threw down the gauntlet. Sometimes you have to get tired enough for you to call for a showdown with the devil. Don't worry about him catching up to you. You need to catch up to him. Sometimes you got to throw down the gauntlet. You got to get tired of that mess. You got to get tired of that discouragement. You know what the Lord spoke to me this morning? He said, can you live off of past victories? I said, no, Lord. He said, then why are you feasting off your past defeats and your past, your past failures? Whoa, revelation. Ha-ha, hallelujah. Some of y'all need to hear that too. Stop feasting off of your failures. So... The devil wants to play hide and seek. Remember that we did that when we were children? You're supposed to hide your head and count to 100, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. No wonder I won all the time. So you've got to get tired of the devil playing hide and seek with you. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about he hides in the shadows. He, wants, he doesn't want to be obvious that coworker that's got a bad attitude toward you, that, that boss that, that, that doesn't like you, that whatever, you're, you, the cashier that, that snarls at you when you cash out at Publix. You've got to understand the devil will hide in places where you cannot detect him, and yet from that hiding place, he will crush your faith. He will rob you of the very destiny that God has planned for you. And all the while, you don't even know the devil's at work. I'm preaching to somebody that's here today. You need to get ready to throw down the gauntlet. I'm tired of, I'm tired of playing hide-and-seek with the devil. Ready to break off the yoke that he's put on my neck. First Kings 18, 19, now therefore sin. This is Elijah saying, gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450, the prophets of the groves 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. Verse 23, let them therefore 
give us two bullets and let them choose one bullet for themselves and cut it in pieces, lay it on wood, put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under and call ye on the name of your gods. Boy, you talk about being outnumbered. Call ye on the name of your gods and I will call on the name, the singular name of the Lord and the God, the God that answers or answereth by fire. Let's do it King James now. Answereth by fire. Let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. In other words, amen, brother. Let it rip. So Elijah was willing to risk everything for the cause of revival. He was willing to risk it all on Mount Carmel for the sake of the soul of the nation of Israel. It causes a question to be posed to each of us in this hour that is so close to the coming of the Lord. What are we willing to risk for revival today? What are we willing to risk for a harvest of lost souls in our city? What are we willing to risk to see our family saved and our prodigals return to the house of God? And so they're on Mount Carmel, and they did their thing, and we don't have time to go into it. You've read it. And Elijah did his thing, and the fire fell on his altar, licked up the sacrifice, the altar, the wood, the water. It was poured on, licked up everything. Why did the fire fall on Elijah's altar, on his sacrifice? You want to know why? Because he put everything on that altar. He invested everything on this altar. Come on, it's do or die right now. It's live or die right now. It's sink or swim right here and now. We're going to settle something right now. You need to get that in your spirit. I'm going to settle something today. I'm going to settle something right here and now in this church service. Before I leave this building, I'm going to settle who's Lord in my life. I'm going to settle who has control of the reins of my life. I'm going to settle it right here and right now so that there's no question about it. You want the fire to fall? You got to put it all on the altar. You can't use a little measuring cup. Well, let's see. I'll put a little this up there. I'll put a little that up there. You might as well forget it. There will be no fire. I want the fire of God to fall. My God. Isaiah 40. I refer to this often. Verse 31, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I could take a little bit of that right now. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So here's the ordinary. We've heard it a million times. There's no revelation that comes out of that for us anymore. Apostolics, we know that like we know uh, to put milk on our Wheaties in the morning. It doesn't move us. It doesn't stir us. It doesn't challenge us. It's just something that we already It's obvious that the prophet was not talking about growing literal wings. Kind of wish he was, because that'd be pretty cool. Wasn't talking about literally, actually, physically taking flight and soaring as the eagles do. 
but he was speaking of a spiritual concept, a spiritual principle. Perhaps it would not even really be available to all believers as Isaiah wrote this until the Holy Ghost was poured out in the second chapter of Acts. Now you think about that. He was talking about something that would not really be completely, fully, viably available to every believer until the Holy Ghost fell in the upper room from that moment forward. Thus he said it would be possible for believers to soar in dimensions of the supernatural where they would not quote, unquote, ordinarily be able to go. They would be able to reach into, to enter into spiritual dimensions that they ordinarily would not be able to enter into. They would be able to do that through the Spirit of God. He also spoke about running without becoming weary and being able to walk endlessly without fainting, which may seem abstract to some of us who are experiencing physical and our spiritual fatigue. But I want you to hear this. After the fire fell on Mount Carmel, Elijah dispatched the people, and they killed all of the 450 prophets of Baal. doesn't say what happened to the 400 prophets of the grove. But they slew all of the 450 prophets of Baal, at which time Elijah speaks to King Ahab and says this, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Now that wouldn't mean much to us around July in Florida, but it had not rained for three and one-half years. In the meantime, well, Ahab is eating and drinking and indulging himself. The prophet did not take the day off. He did not go to rest and get a little R&R. He went back up to Mount Carmel, and he began to pray for rain that would end the three-and-a-half-year drought. You read the story in Perkins. First Kings chapter 18, it took a lot of prayer. Didn't take much to shut heaven up. But when it comes to opening heaven, you hold on to what I'm saying right now for a little later. It didn't take anything, just, Lord, shut that heaven. It's shut. But when it comes to opening heaven back up, it's not going to be that easy, Elijah. Come on, it's not that easy to get God to come down in a place. Not that easy to get heaven to open up and come down. So he prayed God quite a while and sent the, the servant to look seven times until he finally comes back and says, well, I see a little cloud out over the sea about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, that's good enough for me. He sends the servant and he charges him to tell the king who's been eating and drinking and filling himself. Prepare thy chariot and get thee down that the rain stop thee not. Ahab gets in his chariot. And he's on his way to Jezreel. 
chariots on the run, horses accompanying him. I mean, they are flying across the ground on the way to Jezreel. In the meantime, 1 Kings 18 and 46 says this, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. In other words, the spirit of the Lord came upon the prophet and gave him legs like a gazelle. He ran, outran the chariot and the horses and was standing at the gate when Ahab came up in a cloud of dust. I'm talking about entering into dimensions where you will be able to do things that you would not ordinarily be able to do. What do you think David was talking about when he wrote those words, I can run through a troop and leap over a wall? Come on, David, that's just terminology, right? Come on, David, that's just that's semantics, right? You didn't really, you weren't really able. Oh, yes, he was. David was able to run through a troop of men who were seasoned warriors and trained to kill him, and they were not able to lay one single hand upon him. You tell me God's not in his church. You tell me God is not here to help us break the chains that bind us to the ordinary. Devil, there are not enough of you in hell. There are enough devils to stop us. Amen. We can run through you, and you will not be able to touch us. Not only that, the enemy had built fortifications high and strong. David said, I leaped over them like they were nothing, like a gazelle jumps over a wall, because God wants us to break these chains today. You think it was normal for him to be able to do that? I remember one time years ago, our pastor in St. Louis got an order on a Sunday night, came down from the, my wife knows where I'm going, came down from the platform, stepped on the front row, and ran across the top of the pews with the anointing, never broke stride, never stopped preaching. He tried to even do it after church. He couldn't even get up from one to the other. When you're anointed by God, you can do anything. When you're anointed by God, you can run through the truth. When you're anointed by God, you can leap over walls. When you're anointed by God, you are the victor. Weariness, weakness is perfectly normal. It's even to be expected, church, in many different endeavors of life, not just spiritual endeavors. But it's especially expected in spiritual endeavors because where we go in the spirit, the flesh cannot follow us there. The flesh is not able to go there. So Jesus said something that we have used through the years with implications of carnality, but I want to apply it this way. He says, the spirit truly is willing, but the flesh can't go there. Yeah, the flesh is weak. So when the devil tells you, you're weak, say, yep, I am, but he's strong. Come on, you know, he tells a lot of stuff that's true because he mixed half-truths in with lies. 
the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. So what do we need today? Well, the prescription that the Lord gave me is that every person in this room needs a baptism of fire from the Holy Ghost. We all need, I got the Holy Ghost. Oh, I got the Holy Ghost. My Holy Ghost is sophisticated. I got a sophisticated Holy Ghost. So when the Spirit of God moves, it's... I was somebody that set some firecrackers under your little seat and light them with a match because I guarantee you he's going to say to you, Ba, 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 ba. Uh-uh. You're going to be up in Adam, ladies and gentlemen. What we need, what we need is a baptism of Holy Ghost fire. Not just Holy Ghost. John said he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I've heard preachers for years say a lot of people got the Holy Ghost, but they didn't get the fire. And I don't care if you got fire or not. You didn't get it yet today, did you? We need fresh oil. Why do you need fresh oil? Because oil in its natural state gets old and stale and rancid. Some of your Holy Ghost is so old and stale, it would know a move of God if it walked up and tapped you on the shoulder. You need some fresh oil in those vessels. So, oh, come on, Bishop, you went to get mean now. No, I'm not being mean. I'm trying to save us. Because frankly, I'm tired of the ordinary. I'm sick and tired of ordinary church. December 7th, 1941, a Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor decimated America's uh, Pacific Fleet. They bombed and destroyed uh, 169 planes killing 2,403 precious Americans. The Japanese calculated a devastating psychological defeat that would break the heart and the spirit of America. But four months after Pearl Harbor, a gentleman by the name of Lieutenant Colonel James Doolittle with 16 medium-sized aircraft would lead a bombing raid on Japan's uh, city, capital city of Tokyo, and that one simple act didn't do much damage to the Japanese uh, armory, but it boosted America's resolve and it shocked the Japanese war machine. So much so that it's went down in history. One of the uh, Japanese generals said, I think we made a big mistake when we bombed Pearl Harbor. He said it differently. That was not the Holy Ghost, by the way. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. So, I believe that in the same manner, the devil has underestimated the resolve and the spirit of the church of God today. He has solely underestimated our strength, our faith, 
and our resolve. So you can if you want to. But some of us in this room from this day forward are not going to settle for the natural when we've been empowered with the divine. We're not going to trade the fire of the Holy Ghost for ceremony and for routine and for protocol. What in the world are you doing, woman? Breaking an alabaster box in my home, upsetting our little dinner. Should I come in here to tear up your little routine? I'm going to break protocol. I'm going to tear up the ceremony. And we're going to have church whether you want to have church or not. Somebody said years ago, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. <laughs> praise God, praise God, praise God. Due to the small fuel capacity of these planes, in order for them to reach Tokyo with their bombs, they would have to take off from aircraft carriers out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Because the runways on these carriers were so short, uh, everything that was not absolutely necessary for flight, for navigation, uh, had to be removed and stripped from these airplanes, making them light enough to take off and then having enough fuel to reach Tokyo. They didn't have a fuel to get back. That's another story in itself. But here again, they put it all on the altar. So if you desire at all to have what I'm preaching about today, there's some things you're going to have to get out of your life. I don't know why it just came to me in the spirit, and I'm going to say it. You don't have the bishop or the pastor sitting on your couch when you turn on Netflix to tell you what not to watch. You got to go by that spirit of God that is in you. Not that, not that, not that. In fact, not much of anything, to be honest with you. If we really want this, there's some things that we're going to have to get out of our lives if we're going to be able to soar with the wings of eagles, if we're going to be able to break free from the ordinary and from the mundane and, and from the normal aspect of spiritual life. The reason that so many people capitulate to the ordinary is because they don't want to get rid of anything. Not to mention the fact these men train uh, night and day until their mission came about so they would be able to fly these lighter planes and carry out their mission. You can't do this without prayer and without fasting. We cannot even think of operating in the dimension of the supernatural just on faith alone. The word ordinary appears one time in the Bible. What does that mean, Bishop? It means that it's not even in God's lexicon. It's not a part of God's lexicon. Maybe a part of our experience, but it's not a part of God's lexicon. 
but it's not something that he wants us to have in our lives. Matthew 5.41 says, And whomsoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. How many here has heard preaching and teaching about that? Probably pretty much everyone in this room. It's very simple. A Roman soldier had the authority to compel a person into service, and that person was required by Roman law to go one mile. Their indentured service was uh, for the distance of one. I don't know how they determined how long a mile was. I don't know, but that's what was required of them. And after one mile, they were released. And then the Roman soldier would uh, indenture another person to go the next mile and so on. But what Jesus essentially said in this particular uh, uh, statement is that when a believer is compelled in any endeavor, not just spiritual endeavors, in any endeavor in life, really, to uh, go one mile, he or she should volunteer to go beyond that and complete the second mile. So what is the inference of the second mile principle? Very simple. Go beyond that which is required. That kind of opens up a can of worms, which we will not go into here. So it's in the first mile that we find mandates. It's in the first mile that we find his commandments and his laws, statutes, and all of the things that are required within the covenant of grace. See, a lot of people don't think a lot of the things that are required, they think they're not required. Surprise, surprise, when you actually leave this world. Because I believe there's a lot more required than Acts 2.38. So, the first mile is where we will encounter things that are absolute. Things like sound doctrine. Things like holiness. Things like separation. Within the first mile, you will find that which is unconditional. It's unquestionable. It's without debate. But this is as far as some people go. They dwell in that first mile. There's nothing wrong with the first mile. You've got to go the first mile to even get to the second mile. The first mile is necessary. But then there is that second mile. The second mile is for those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They hunger and they thirst for a visitation from God. Now, if I was out in the middle of the ocean, stranded, didn't have much food and water, and I had a little sailboat, and I put my sail up, and there was no wind, and a little breeze comes by, just kind of fluffs my sail, that wouldn't make me very happy because I'm still going nowhere. But that's the way we are a lot of times with the Holy Ghost. We put our little sail up, and we get a little wind of God, hits our sail, oh, God's here, God's touched me, I felt God again, I spoke in tongues a little bit again today, and everything's cool. No, it's not. Our city's still in hell. The attic's still bound by us alcohol and by us drugs. Oh, we're safe and sound in here. Let's have a little wind blow on our sails so we can feel good about God. But that's not going to get the lost saved. So the second mile is for those that have a deep and irked, intense desire to be used by God. Win souls, gifts of the Spirit, pray in the Holy Ghost, intercessor. The second mile is for those who desire 
apostolic demonstration. Not when we call an evangelist to come in and bring his anointing so we have it while he's here and we don't after he leaves. The second mile is for those that are in pursuit of apostolic demonstration. They're in pursuit of revival. Don't matter how much we shout. Don't matter how much we dance. Don't matter how much we rejoice. If people don't get the Holy Ghost, it wasn't as great a service as God wanted it to be. I got to hurry. The second mile is where you're going to find an intimate relationship with God. The second mile is where you're going to find the extraordinary. When in Philippi, a woman in the spirit of divination, with the spirit of divination, followed Paul, Silas, and this wicked woman went through the streets following him, crying, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Obviously, this was not the kind of endorsement that they wanted. And so... It went on for days, excuse me, and then finally Paul was grieved in the spirit, the Bible says. The Holy Ghost comes on him. He turns to the woman, and he casts the spirit of divination out of her in the name of Jesus. Of course, it's gone to the ire of her masters, and so they convinced the magistrates to arrest Paul and Silas, which they did. They severely beat Paul and Silas. I mean, they beat these guys to a pulp. They put stripes. Go read it. Put stripes on their back. They beat them good. Then they, they didn't take them to the hospital and, and, and tend to their wounds. They threw them into prison, and the Bible says that they charged the jailer to keep them. In other words, if these men escape, it's going to be on you. Whatever you do, don't let them out. Because uh, there was a reputation for when God's people were arrested, God would get them out. So they told him, why do you think the jailer sprung with a light? He's going to kill himself. He was going to kill himself because the prisoners were going to kill him. His bosses were going to kill him. You need to tell those good, precious Baptist people when the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? He wasn't talking about salvation. He was talking about, how am I going to live through this? Paul said, well, I know the question you're asking, but let me give you an answer to another question. Well, if we could just rightly divide the word a little bit. And so the Bible says he thrust them into the inner prison. You're not getting out here, boy. There are many doors between where you are and the, and the door to the street. He made their feet fast in stocks. Acts 16, 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. I think it's important to note, I think you already know this, they were cold, they were exhausted, they were uh, they must have been in extreme pain from the lashing. They're in chains, probably hands and feet as well, uh, that were attached to the walls and to the floor of their cell. And in spite of their condition, they prayed and they sang praises. Not only did they sing, they sang loud enough and prayed loud enough that it woke up all the prisoners. It woke them all up. In the arms. Get to heaven. Devil can't hear that. Devil can't hear me sing when I do that. 
You say, well, God's got good ears. Yeah, I know, but I, yeah, but he's not the only one I want to hear this. They sang loud enough that it woke up the entire prison. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake. Did the earthquake happen before they prayed? Did it happen before they sang? When did it happen? After they prayed and after they sang. I'm talking about breaking out of the ordinary. Great earthquake. It was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. I got a really hurry. It was not just their chains that fell off. Everybody's chains fell off. It was not just their door that, that opened. All the doors opened. Every door in the prison opened. Oh, hallelujah. God's moving on me now. Every door in the prison was open because two faithful, hurting men prayed and sang praises unto God. So let's be clear about this. We're talking about breaking the chains that bind you and I to the ordinary, right? But when you discover the inherent power and authority and anointing combined with prayer, fasting, and praise, then you will come to understand. No, you will have a revelation that not only will your chains fall off, not only will the door to your prison open, but every chain will fall off. Every door will be open. I wish to God that somebody in this room would come to a clear understanding. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about my little world. It's about everybody around me that needs a breakthrough. When David killed Goliath, something happened. The army of Israel had been stalled for four weeks or 30 days, something like that. They couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't make headway. They couldn't go forward. They couldn't defeat the Philistines. But David kills one little old giant. And suddenly the army says, let's take the field, boys. And they gained a great victory against the field. Your silence is keeping somebody from their victory. Your silence is keeping somebody from breaking out of their ordinary and receiving a miracle from God. My God. What if David... Would have said, not my problem. I just killed a lion and a bear. I've just been anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. Not my problem. What if we as apostolics would say to people that come amongst us, oh, not our devil. Not my devil. 
let us take you in the back room, instruct you on how to deal with that devil. No, why don't we just go ahead and get rid of that devil altogether? So when you defeat your devil, when you slay your giant, you're going to enable somebody to slay their giant and experience victory and deliverance in their life. Praise God. Could it be that when you break out of your hell, somebody else is going to break out of their hell? We sing a song, we haven't sung it for a while, but it's really a good worship song about changing the atmosphere. I have to make it clear to you, you don't change the atmosphere in this room. You change the atmosphere in the prayer room. If you ain't changed the atmosphere in the prayer room and you come in here, it's too late for that. You can sing until there ain't no more songs to sing. The atmosphere changes in the prayer room. If you truly want to change the atmosphere, after you've been in the prayer room, now you can do it with praise and worship. Devil, you want to follow me into the sanctuary? Come on. You want to follow me into the auditorium? Come on, brother. Come on, devil. Bring your hell with you. Because we have power with God. We have authority with God. So if you give God Ordinary prayer, you're going to get an ordinary response from heaven. You give God ordinary praise, you're going to get an ordinary response from the Holy Ghost. If you want to break the chains that bind you to the ordinary, it starts with you. So there wasn't anything ordinary about Paul and Silas's prayer and praise, but it opened every door in the prison, free not only them, but every other prisoner. Now, this is important because in the letter to the Philadelphian church, uh, it indicates that God had set before them. Well, let's read it, Revelation 3 and 7 and 8. And the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things, saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. Ooh, I like that. The key of David. One of the place mentions the key of the house of David. I'll take either key. He that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth. See, there are some things need to be shut, closed, and no man openeth. Then he said, I know thy works, in verse number 8. I didn't give them this verse, but man, they're good. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Now, the implications of this open door that God had unlocked and set before the Philadelphian church. We cannot presume to know all of the reasons why God had opened that door. They're not really all stated for us in these verses of Scripture other than what he wrote in the letter uh, in verse number 8. But one thing is very clear, that when the door was opened in the Philadelphian church, it was open to every single 
believer in that church. So one of the things I wanted to do today is I wanted to encourage every prayer warrior and every intercessor in this church. And I want to say to you in the spirit, don't you dare give up. You say, well, I'm not going to give up. No, okay, that's fine. But I told my wife last year, the back prayer room would be full. I mean, you couldn't even hardly find a place to sit. Remember, Sister Melinda? You couldn't even hardly find a place to sit. It was rocking. It was rolling. There were people who never came back there. That's okay. You, you, you got your issues with God. You deal with God over that. There were intercessors in prayer every Sunday morning, early in the morning, back there praying. I told my wife last year, if God doesn't move pretty quick, that room's going to empty out. You go back there this morning, there was, what, four or five ladies in that room? Four or five ladies in that room? Where's everybody else? I prophesied last year, if God don't move pretty soon, they're going to lose faith, they're going to get discouraged, and they're going to see it's not doing any good, so why come early and why go back there and pray? But God answered a prayer of mine this morning. I looked around and looked at a few ladies in there praying, and I said, God, where are our men? God, where are our men? And so I prayed this. I said, God, I wish that a man of our church will walk into this prayer room in a few minutes door open and Brother Locke walked in that door. I'm telling you if you let these ladies do your praying for you others straggled in here late like you were going to a ball game and the first inning doesn't count anyway shame on you say who do you think you are the bishop? Yeah I speak to those few intercessors that are left. I want to I comment that the, wor the worship team comes early before, even before that group comes and prays in the sanctuary. Thank you for that. But I want to say to you to let your cry continue because God is hearing our prayers. The court of God is hearing the intercession of our prayer warriors and he's going to break us out of the prison of mediocrity. And when he does, my God help us, when he does, it's not going to be a gentle nudge. It's going to be a little push. It's not going to be a little breeze upon our sails. It's going to be a wind of God that's going to shake up everything in this church. Isaiah 62, 6 and 7, I've set watchmen upon thy walls of Jerusalem which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord keep not silence and give him no rest till, till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. I'm telling you, God wants us to break the chains of the ordinary and to pray and fast until 
the name of apostolic praise has a reputation in our city throughout the course of Lee County. If people want to know where to find God, go up to Plantation Road, 11871, walk in the doors of that church, and I guarantee you, you'll find him right there. But when God opened the door to the Philadelphian church, hear me now, this is a part of the message, I cannot leave this out. The responsibility rested on every believer in that church to advance through that door into whatever God had ordained for them. So I'll let somebody else do the praying. I don't recommend you do that. I really highly recommend that you don't do that. Because for years now, you have been blessed because of somebody else's prayer and because of somebody else's faithfulness and intercession. It's time that that changes and it should change here today. So, I know, because God has spoken to us in tongues, <coughs> interpretation, that he is hearing our prayers. You know, there are some ways that I am really grateful for the patience of God and the long-suffering of God, but there are other ways I wish he wasn't so patient. You know what I mean? I'm glad he's patient with me, but my gosh. In fact, if he wasn't, I wouldn't be here. So, I know that heaven is hearing, but I want hell to hear. Hell. So, I wish that somebody would stand to their feet right now. I ain't going to make you. I wish you'd stand to your feet and put hell on notice. Is there anybody that will do it? I can't do it for you. Put hell on notice. Whatever that means to you, for wherever you are in your walk with God or in life, hell, I'm not backing up anymore. Hell, I'm not going to be silent anymore. Hell, I'm not going to take your stuff anymore. Come on, it's got to start somewhere. This is it. I'm going to have an altar starting tomorrow. I'm going to have a prayer life beginning tomorrow. When the sun comes up, I'm going to be on my face, on my knees somewhere, seeking the face of God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day for the rest of my life. you got to get serious about this. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who in the world are you? 
God bless you. you. May be seated in Malachi 3 and 10. Bring all tithes into the storehouse. There may be meat in my house. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Praise God. So the bishop's really slick now. He's fallen into preaching about tithes and offerings. <laughs> See, everybody thinks this is about money. Everybody thinks this is about money. And we get nervous when, when people start talking about our money. You know what? If you're born again of water and of the Spirit, according to the dictates of Acts 2.38, you're not your own anyway. You don't own anything. You don't even own yourself. You've been bought with a price, and you didn't come cheap. You know, saying, give your heart. You can't give God your heart. He bought that heart. He bought you with his blood. We need to get clear that out right away. Everybody thinks this is about money. What they fail to realize is that Malachi was talking about, or at least he had the opportunity to introduce a spiritual principle that applies beyond the scope of the giving of one's tithe and offering. So I'm going to ask the question. I know I'm going to get a meager uh, response. How many of you need a blessing today? Of course, within the scope of need, there's also one. You may not have any particular um, um, pressing needs right now, but you just want a blessing from God. That's good. That's cool. Desire and need, God operates within that. So when prayer, praise, and worship, that which is God deserves, ascends up before his throne, he does something. He opens the windows of heaven. And once the windows of heaven are open, he pours out a blessing, pours out a blessing. And Malachi said that we would not have Room enough to receive it. Here's my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. I know I can't sing, but endure it, okay? This is not a cup. Put that silly, little, measly, Thimble, thank you, away. He wants to pour out a blessing that you will not have room enough to receive. You say, Bishop, you don't get it. Yeah, I get it. God wants to bless us. But his idea of blessing is not the same as ours. So when God opens the heavenly windows and pours this blessing that I'm talking about out, it will be in greater proportions than you will be able to receive. What does that mean? It means you can't hold it all. 
He can't receive everything within you that God is going to pour out on you. Now what happens when God pours out blessing that his people do not have room enough to receive? I'm going to tell you what happens. It's called revival. It's when people get the Holy Ghost. You don't need to lay hands on them. You need to shake the devil out of them. People will stand throughout the congregation and will receive the Holy Ghost. When God pours out blessing that we do not have room enough to receive the sick will be healed the gifts of the spirit will operate I'm telling you it's more than you can handle it's more than you can deal with that's the supernatural operation and visitation of almighty God it's not normal it's not ordinary even in an apostolic oneness church but God wants to do it here today We pray for revival, fill people with the Holy Ghost, and then we offer little bitty prayers and, and little bitty worship because that's the familiar to us. God says, man, I want to pour it out on you, but that's not opening much in heaven right there. You think David meant in the 23rd Psalm when he said, my cup, You know why I want my cup to run over? So somebody else can get what I can't hold on to. So somebody else can receive what I can't retain to myself. That's, come on church, that's what revival is all about. It's not about coming in here and getting what we need to satisfy, to gratify, to get through our particular personal trials and situations. It's about getting God to open the windows of heaven and pour out enough Holy Ghost to fill every living, breathing human being in the sanctuary, move in the back room, fill our kids with the Holy Ghost, heal the sick, raise the dead. Worship team, please join us. The culture of Israel had been toxic for decades upon decades to the point where God could not tolerate it anymore. Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon marches in. For the next 70 years, they won't be in captivity. And uh, it was during their captivity that Ezekiel, who was in Babylon, was having visions, incredible visions. Things that I would imagine he even had a difficult time putting into words, some of the things that he saw. And... Uh, he had a vision of the temple of God in Jerusalem, which at that time, the temple had been ransacked of everything, all of the vessels, everything, the gold, the holy, everything was gone. The temple had been completely destroyed and uh, desecrated. Uh, it is written in Ezekiel 47 afterwards, he's in this vision, he said, afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold. Now, you know and I know that water represents the Holy Ghost in many instances, as it does here. 
waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward, for the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under, uh, from the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Now, the door to the house of God in Ezekiel's vision was closed, but the waters came out of the door anyway, but the water didn't come under the door. The waters came under the threshold. The threshold is what is at the bottom of the door attached to the floor to help seal the door when it's closed. And the waters that Ezekiel saw issued out from under the threshold. God is breaching some things here. He's breaching some things in Ezekiel's vision. He's showing the prophet, I'm going to breach some things. You, you, that's not normal for that to happen, but I'm going to do some things that are, that are not ordinary or not normal. If you'll notice, there's no English word for pluralizing water, which is water. Go ahead and type it into your word processor and it'll be highlighted in red or underlined because there's no English word, waters. So why did the prophet pluralize water? Why didn't he just say water is coming under the threshold? It's waters. I believe that he used the plural word, though it can't be translated into a proper English word when the king's translators would translate the Bible into English because it was a whole lot of it. It, was, uh, it wasn't just a little trickle. It wasn't just a little stream of water. It was a lot of water. So even though the temple of God was shut up, there was no praying going on, there was no fasting, there was no worship going on in the shut up, broken down uh, temple that Ezekiel saw, there was a virtual river that originated inside of that desecrated, ransacked temple that flowed out from the door underneath the threshold. You have to, or at least I hope you will hear me over the next few minutes because no one believed that Israel would be a viable nation again. And I know they made attempts after this, and we've read about that in the Word of God. But no one really believed that they would become a viable, self-supporting, sovereign nation again. But let me tell you something, they're going to become that nation. It's going to happen. Just like nobody really believes Pastor Phil and Brother Locke when we talk about a revival that's going to fill our church up to overflowing. There's unbelief amongst that's never going to happen. Be careful with that because there was somebody said, well, yeah, when, when Elijah said, well, by tomorrow this time, y'all going to be buying stuff a little bit of nothing, you know. Remember, Samaria shut up and all that, and they said, well, that'll never happen. I said, Elijah, it's going to happen, but you'll never, you'll never partake of it. Be careful when you're in unbelief. 
Now, I'm not telling you that we're going to sit here on our haunches and relax ourselves into revival. That's not what I've been preaching. But I'm telling you, if we will get a hold of what we're preaching today, it's coming. It's coming. So don't worry about those who say that revival's never going to happen, at least not here in this church. Don't worry about the naysayers. Because really, God's moving right now. God's preparing us for something incredible right now. I, I know it's just a trickle right now. It, it, it just didn't seem like much back now. It's just trickle flowing under the threshold of impossibility. Doors are shut, but there's water flowing anyway. Prayer closets are closed up, but water's beginning to flow anyway. God's people, some of them lost faith and, and lost courage, and, and, and but yet that water's flowing right now. It's just a trickle, but I'm here to tell you it's flowing, it's moving. Verse 2, he brought me out of the way at the gate northward and led me about the way without under the utter gate by the way that looked eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. This is the gate now. When the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters to the waters to the ankles. Brought me through the waters. The waters. The waters were to the ankles. A thousand cubits is 1,476 feet. No, I did not know that. I looked it up before, but with my memory factor, I had to look it up again. My stride is about three feet, which means I would have to walk from one manifestation of God to the next. I would have to make 492 steps to get from a trickle of water to where the water's ankle deep. See, that's what keeps us back. It's a long way, brother. It's a long way, preacher, from, from this little blessing of God to what you're talking about. 492 steps. Oh, my gosh. Equate that to prayer and fasting and waiting on God in prayer and seeking the face of That's a long way from ankle deep. Come on, brother. Can't we just, can't we wallow in this a little bit? Splash it up. Like we did when we were kids. Yeah, we can. 492 steps. 1,476 feet. 1,000 cubits. And then Ezekiel finds himself after making that trip in his vision. And he's standing in ankle-deep water. I came all this way for that. But God wasn't done. God was not finished yet. Again, he measured a thousand, brought me through the waters, to the waters that were to the knees. To the knees. Now we're getting somewhere, but we're not there yet. He brought me a thousand and brought me through the waters. The waters were to the loins. Stand with me. The water were to the loins. I am so guilty of letting this ridiculous phrase come out of my mouth so many times. Well, didn't we have good church? Didn't we have good church today? The leper walked out of the church, still a leper. The sinner walked out in their sin. The backslider walked out in their backsliding. 
the sick walked out with their disease. But man, didn't we have good church today? Is this by chance the river, the river that Ezekiel saw, is this the river that Jesus was talking about when he said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. As far as I can tell, there ain't nothing flowing out of me yet. As far as I can tell, I'm still receiving what heaven has opened up and poured out on us in this room. I'm still filling up with it right now. There ain't nothing flowing out of me yet. You understand what I'm saying? I'm feeling pretty good in the Holy Ghost. I'm feeling pretty blessed in God. I'm feeling a little anointing from God. But as far as I can tell, there ain't nothing gushing out of me yet. So, if you're willing to go far enough, if you're willing to go deep enough, you will ultimately pass through the waters of an ordinary spiritual experience an ordinary spiritual existence. And if you keep going, you will reach the place that the psalmist talked about in Psalms 42 and 7, where he said, Deep calleth unto deep. There's something calling unto us from the deeper waters of the Holy Ghost. I know everybody's not going to go there. I know y'all not going to just get on board and start diving into the deep waters of God's spirit. That's okay with me. This is between you and God. But I have, I have unloaded my soul. I've, I have emptied my soul out to you because I know somebody, more than one or two, are going to get a hold of this and realize that God is calling unto us from deeper waters of the Holy Ghost. Deep calleth unto the deep. He says, at the noise of thy water spouts, here it is, all thy waves and all thy billows are gone over me. There's a divine call of God. Brother Locke mentioned a call. If there's ever been a call, go forth from this pulpit. It's going forth right now for us to break the, the bottles of normal apostolic experience. It's, it's time for us to break the chains that are binding us to the natural and the ordinary because good church not saving anybody. Good church is not healing anybody. Good church is not delivering anybody. And frankly, I'm tired of just good church. If there's anybody else in this room that's received anything from God, would you bring your faith and your conviction? Believe me, I'm under conviction right now. Would you bring your faith and your conviction to this altar and let us seek the face of God because God is in our midst right now.
I've been repenting for days now. Because I've been satisfied. And I'm tired of being satisfied. I don't know if God's going to let me live another 15 minutes or another 15 years. But when I go out, I want to go out of this world in a blaze of glory. Don't set me somewhere and forget about me. If I can't walk, wheel my wheelchair to the front, hand me a microphone, and let me preach the word of God. I refuse to settle for anything less than the supernatural, than the anointing of God. God called me to preach, and if I'm not mistaken, there was no expiration date on my calling. He didn't put a date on there. It said, serve till here, and you can quit. No way. God wants this church to break some chains right here and right now. You're tired of the ordinary, go on a fast. You want to break some chains, go on a fast. You ladies watch Josh Herring preach that message. You go on a fast, I guarantee you some things are going to break. The devil's going to notice. Heaven's going to open. God's going to answer. Come on now. Do we want this or don't we? Just as, it's just, just another few minutes at an altar. Before we go home on Sunday afternoon and eat our meal and take a nap, are we going to get a hold of God right here and right now? Come on, if you really want this, you've got to declare it. You've got to determine in your heart, I'm, this is not the end of me. This is just the beginning of what God's going to do in my life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, God's here right now. Come on, the Holy Ghost is in this place. Loose me, Jesus, and let me go. Loose me from the things that bind me. Loose me from the things that hinder me. Loose me from the things that keep me from praying and keep me from fasting and keep me out of the word and keep me from sharing my testimony. Loose me, Jesus. Come on, we're not talking about unlocking things. We're talking about breaking some stuff. Because if you unlock those chains, they can be put back on you. But once they're broken... Break those chains, Jesus. Break these things that bind us to our carnality. Break the things that bind us to our unbelief that cause us to not trust in you and not walk in the Spirit. Give us a dissatisfaction that will drive us to the prayer room, 
that will drag us into the prayer room, that will drag us to our knees to cry out to God until heaven answers. Come on, church, this is not all on God. It's on us. When the doors open, we got to go through it. Come on, hear him right now. The Holy Ghost is talking to all of us about a greater manifestation. Coming home, go ahead and pray. Coming home from the prayer walk yesterday. We passed by a strip club. I told my wife when we drove by, God wants to save some of those girls out of that strip club. He ain't going to do it with the ordinary. He's not going to do it with normal praise and normal faith and normal worship. But he can do it when we break these chains. God can begin to draw them. You win one of those girls, you will win them all. Come on, you're beginning to get it right now. Come on, the anointing and unction of the Holy Ghost is beginning to settle down on us right now. The reality of what you just heard is beginning to settle down into our hearts and our minds right now. We're just beginning, God, to understand what was said, what was spoken, what was prophesied in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, Sister Arbogast. We're going to go out in a blaze. We're going to go out in a blaze of glory. God's not done with us. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, there's enough power in this place right now to shake up the entire city of Fort Myers and Lee County. Come on, hell, do you hear this? Come on, hell, do you hear this? This is Zion waking up. This is Zion coming out of a slumber. This is Zion. It's rising up. Lead us to the armory. Show us where the weapons are. Show us where the prayer room is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God wants to use you. He wants to use you in the spirit. He wants to use your testimony at work. He wants to use your witness in your family. 
You got to live this 100%. You got to get committed to this. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, we're on to something. Come on, we're on to something. There's a Lazarus within us that Jesus is calling forth. Hallelujah. There are five wise virgins in this place right now that's waking up to the revival that God wants to give us. Waking up to the anointing that God wants to give us. that's been delivered. We need a few alcoholics that's been delivered. We need a few prostitutes that's come out of the lifestyle and been set free by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Come on, get a hold of the hem of his garment. Come on, God, if we gotta crawl through the dirt, we gotta crawl through the dust, we gotta crawl on the ground. We have to have this, we have to have this, we have to have this. We will not settle. We will not settle. We We will not settle. We will not settle. Hallelujah. Come on, you can do it. Come on, you can break it. Come on, the victory belongs to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, it's your day. It's your victory. This is a new day. We declare it so. We will never settle from this day forward. We will not walk in here as spectators ready to watch a show no more. We are the redeemed of God. We are the blood bought of Jesus Christ. We are the bride. We're the armor of God. We're anointed. We have power. same after this. There's going to be a new you walk out of here this morning. Going to be a new you walk out of the doors of this church. Oh, hallelujah. We walked the streets of Fort Myers yesterday. Fort Myers does not belong to the drug addicts. Do not belong to the drunkards or the party goers or the rousers. It belongs to the redeemed of God. Come on, release it now. 
It's time to release it now. Let what's flowing out of you get on somebody else near you. Let what's flowing through you. Let that river get on somebody else because God's opened the door. He's broke our shackles. He has set us free. Hallelujah. Come on, you need to repent for not being in the prayer room. You need to ask God to forgive you for letting somebody else do your praying for you. Hallelujah. There's a great burden of responsibility on all of us right now. We got to be the church so that God can be God. We got to do what the church is supposed to do so that God can do what God is supposed to do. Oh, God, hallelujah. Some of you are learning how to linger in prayer right now. Some of you are learning how to, how to wait at the throne of God, how to tarry in his presence, how to prevail in prayer and prevail in faith. Come on, ankle deep water ain't going to cut it. We got to make our way to the deep waters of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
you got the devil on the run now come on hallelujah you're breaking through some things now You are establishing your prayer posture that you will assume every day when you go to prayer. You're assuming that posture right here and now. You will approach the throne of God as a child of God with all rights of redemption to enter into the holiest of holies.
Thank you, Jesus. Listen to me for a minute before we leave here today. We have some babies in the church. But not just the new babies that's been born and these precious moms and dads. We have spiritual babies in here. Some of you have received the Holy Ghost and you haven't got a clue about how God wants you to live. I understand receiving the Holy Ghost is an incredible thing. Cornelius received the Holy Ghost in his household, and then Peter commanded him to be baptized. If you have not been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, I don't care if you've been poured on, sprinkled on, doused on, water hose, titles, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, if you have not been immersed in water in the name of Jesus Christ, you need to do it today. Secondly, when you go to the pastor, you tell him, I want a Bible study. I want somebody to teach me how God wants me to dress, how God wants me to act, the kind of man he wants me to be, the kind of woman he wants me to be. Because God will put up with our shenanigans for a while, but after we've been around for a while and we're still acting wrong and dressing wrong, and God won't put up with that after that. He's going to hold you accountable. So it's important that you that you do that. I can tell you right now, what you're feeling in this room will go away. It will. It will not be the same tomorrow. So that means you've got to make up your mind that what's going to be the same is the same man that's in this altar right now and the same woman that's in this altar right now will be the thing that will be the same tomorrow and Tuesday and on and on and on. I felt like I didn't, I wasn't going to do it and I'm still not going to do it, but I felt like issuing a challenge to those that would do this. Like Elijah said, let's just see who answers by fire, right? The challenge that I was thinking about issuing you was challenge you to get up early enough on a Sunday morning to pray a minimum of one hour before you ever even come to church. Minimum of an hour. And then come early enough to go in this room and pray another hour and then after the adult lesson we have 30 minutes of prayer and I challenge you to tell me that you don't feel something different in your spirit you you do that and you tell me you're different bishop then it's always I'm telling you every time you pray it will be like you will start from from where you left off and go a little bit deeper. And when the worship begins, 
you're already in the holiest of holies. You're already there. And what God dumps on you through that service, you tell me it's the same as it always is. You see, we don't want to do any different. We want God to do all of that for us. And he is speaking to us today. Uh -uh, it's on you. It's on you. And I believe there are going to be some people that have been changed and transformed in this service today. I don't want to be the same. I'm tired of the same. To be honest with you, I'm tired of less Bruce. I'm ready for a new man to step up and, and take over. Everybody with me? Thank you for your patience with me today for faithfully listening to the word for coming and praying and seeking God as you have please uh, think about Brother Khan and the family this afternoon and continue the Bible says pray without ceasing just pray throughout the day touch Brother Khan hear Brother Khan you know God bless the family just throughout the day you don't have to kneel at a couch somewhere to be praying and uh, let's believe God's going to do something really awesome and great in, in our... Brother Khan's been faithful for so many years, so many years. And I know God wants to do something awesome for him and the family. Amen. God bless you today in Jesus' name. We love every one of you. Yeah, we need a meeting with the men. Uh, generally, it's over there. Okay, over on your right, my left, the men, please.